Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then they make you roly-poly you get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I am your moderator, John Viola, coming to you from the great city of New York, and uh, I'm here with one of my favorite partners in crime today, Rosella Rago. Hey, guys. So, funny story. I was on a plane ride home from Italy this past summer after the Cooking with Nona tour, and I started watching this movie, Pizza Shop, and I was really, really intrigued because you know, anything with pizza in the title. Hello, I'm Sounds there. Great. I am here for it. And, you know, after a few minutes, I find out what it's about. It's about this pizza shop in New Jersey called Rudy's Pizza. It's been there for 44 years, I believe. And it's run by these two Italian brothers, Calabrese brothers. And one of their sons decided that this would make a great movie. He was totally right because I was enthralled for all 57 minutes. And Anthony also is in the house today filmmaker writer director uh anything else my missing all of the above all, <laughs> of the above all around film guy award winning right because the film is award won some winning awards. yeah actually yeah. yes guys like this this film was official selection for st louis film festival golden door international film festival oh i don't know how to say the oh hi oh hi oh hi yeah. Where is California. That? Oh, I didn't make it there, but it's beautiful, supposedly. It's Manhattan be. Film Festival, Cape May Film Festival, yeah. Hoboken, yeah. Salento Film Festival. It won the Audience Award for the Best NJ Film Indie Street Film Festival. I am so excited to have you here and talk about this movie. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Yeah, this is right up my alley. Kind of when Rosella shared this with me, I was like, okay, this is on my short list to when I get a night off. This is what I want to be watching. This is a story that. Uh, I think, speak volumes about who we are. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how this came to be. So I'm first generation. My parents came from Calabria in the 60s. Yeah. And I grew up in a pizzeria without thinking that it was... I mean, I kind of knew that it wasn't normal because my friend's parents were home for dinner. <laughs> and I was right. with my great-grandmother, <laughs> wow, Nona Dolores, who would, would babysit my brother and I. And... um I just grew up in it, and it, my, my parents always had, like, a public relationship with the community in Closter, where the restaurant is, and I kind of just took it for granted, and 
a little bit, I was like, oh, they're never home. They'll never come see me in the play. They're always busy Friday night, you know. So I grew up in it. And then, um, you know, my dad's getting older and we were on vacation and my brother showed him a Facebook video of an old guy in Brooklyn making pizza for 100 years. Defara's, I think. I probably. It must yeah. have been that Defara clip. It's yeah, famous. so it's a short clip. And my father watched it and nodded his head. You know, my father's never impressed by anything. <laughs> and, Italian parent. Italian, yeah. yeah. And he was like, oh, you should make something like this about me. And my first impulse was, no, thank you. <laughs> like, course. engaging with you in this, um, yeah. like, to bringing my craft to your craft does not, not feel like. You're not going to understand things. It's just not. Yeah. I mean, I mean. The day before we started shooting, he was like, I don't think we should do this. <laughs> that's, that's, I was like, of course, perfect. And I literally channeled my mom, who's no longer with us, but my mom, I, in my head, my mom used to say sometimes, like, just ignore him. <laughs> and so I just thought, Pop, this is a professional crew. They're already booked. We'll see you at 8.30 in the morning. Be ready. Thanks. And I walked away, and it was actually, and now he's grateful. And all he has to do is be himself, right? It's a documentary. Well, that's the, yes. So. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think maybe he didn't know. I mean, he's, you know, my, he's prone to anxiety about anything you put in front of him another part um, of our condition but exactly yeah. but then but then once the camera started rolling he wanted to narrate his whole life and i was like no 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 just do it we can see what you're doing you don't have to explain to us what you're doing while you're doing yeah. so it was cute um yeah, it was I, really cute. I yeah. found like the silent moments of him were really some of the most powerful. Like when he's getting ready in the morning and he's going through his whole little routine and mm -hmm. um, you could just see, you know, this is what he did for 44 years. And he's probably done it the same exact way for the past 44 years. Like, well, yeah, absolutely. He his, I mean, he's such a man of routine that um, I find it bewildering because I'm not really like that. But I, 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 I admire it. You know, as he gets older, it becomes a struggle to continue with it, both from a physical standpoint, you know, uh, and the world is changing around him, of course, you know, mm -hmm. too. But his his idea of me making this three minute clip celebrating him being a pizzaiolo, I think, turned into this bigger thing because they'd been in the same location in the same shopping center in Closter for decades. The place went into bankruptcy. The management company went into bankruptcy. They had to move the stores all uh, emptied out around them they ended up having to move temporarily to another location in the mall while phase one was done where they were going to be and then get moved back into their location and this was ha about to happen wow and i was like okay well this is a great moment actually to shoot something that's happening right now that's challenging to them as well as telling their story because yeah. sometimes if you just tell a story of the past it's a lot of talking heads and archival footage and it's not a lot of like what's happening now. So in the movie, you you keep coming back to like, they're rebuilding this whole restaurant for us right now. Yeah. Because the narrative it was, it was presents a, itself. They really got um, thrown for a loop by this being upended. You know, they had been comfortably renting this prime spot in the shopping center for decades. So, wow. From like a filmmaker's point of view, that's probably like a really golden opportunity to say, hey, like something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's going to cause all kinds of feelings and bring up so many emotions for everyone involved. And I'm mm -hmm. sure you and your brother were probably, I like the way that, you know, your uncle and your dad were working together and then you and your brother were kind of working uh -huh. really closely together because you're in, you're not just the director, you were in the film as well. Well, I, 
I care so much about the restaurant, about the legacy of the restaurant, about my father's well-being. You know, he's a widower. My mom passed in 2006. And so my brother and I very much um, are there for him. He lives with my brother now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the thing about Italian-American culture that's funny that I've been thinking about a lot is that you... They work so hard so that you have the opportunity to do something different from them. And then you do something different from them and you have this distance because they don't understand who you are in a yeah. way because of the education you, they gave you the opportunity to have. It's yeah. amazing. It's a huge dichotomy in who we are as a people. And it comes up a lot in, in businesses like these. We talk about it a lot on the show because you see so many f successful family-run businesses that are labor-intensive, mm -hmm. you know, uh, not the highest margins, but a, a, a beautiful product that these bakeries and uh, Sulamedia and pizza shops mm -hmm. and restaurants, and they take on roles in the community. They take on uh, brand awareness, and they're successfully run. And oftentimes the next generation, the whole reason that these people are working so tirelessly to build these companies, they don't necessarily want to continue on in that field. And so a lot of these Italian businesses that we lose, mm -hmm. they're landmarks and they're not gone because the business isn't successful. They're gone because they kind of served their purpose. They, mm -hmm. they were there to propel the family forward. And, and it's, it is dichotomous. I'm so grateful that my mother was so adamant that I go and get a degree and, and work in a field that interested me. Not because, again, there's nothing wrong with being in the business. It's the opportunity to choose yeah. between doing it or not doing it. So my brother manages his own restaurant. That's kind of a sister restaurant to Rudy's. It's 40 minutes away. He manages it much differently than my father and my uncle manage theirs, of sure. course. And I was like, I want to go to film school. And my father was kind of uh, not, I, my mother really pushed me through to be allowed, quote yeah. unquote, um, because they were skeptical. Uh, and here I am making films right. still, all these years later, about them. Yeah, but, very yeah. Chinama Paradiso. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. Film is not a real job. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to do the, if you want to do that kind of like cinematic version, it's like growing up, my dad on his day off would just watch movies to decompress. And I can imagine myself being like, oh, yeah, I'll make a movie to get your attention. <laughs> because he was such a yeah. busy, he yeah. was either busy or kind of checked out. Yeah. yeah. Which I understand now. At the time, I just thought, why is my father so silent yeah. but that, and absent? That you know? scene that you described uh, in the movie where, you know, you got up and started trying to make pizza and your mother stopped you and said, you will never make pizza. She literally, I mean, I can remember it to this day. I pulled a chair from the dining room, set it up in front of the counter and the pizza man was going to show me. I was 11. I, I, I wasn't old enough to even really be serious about it. But I think in her, like, I think her, like, her stomach must have clenched. Because mm -hmm. she was like, no way am I getting varicose veins and, and, you know, pounding this pavement so that you end up doing this too. Yeah. She pulled me by the ear off the chair. Yeah. She was, I mean, I remember it to this day because it was so strong. It was kind of disproportionately strong because I was so young. But, um... You know, I was also gay, so I didn't feel necessarily that it was a natural path for me anyway. Um, I love the staff. We have a great relationship. A lot of them have been there forever. I don't know that it really would have been an issue, but I felt like on some level I had to get out of that world. Mm -hmm. And then being able to look at it from a distance, I was able to make the movie kind of with a little bit of a remove that, that I think is important sure. for, film, for a filmmaker. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine being there every day. It's easy to see the story as a as a narrative, let alone no. to make it. Then you know what I mean. And, and, and a, a lot of times, while we're doing the show, we have these great conversations, and and it becomes for me 
a whole cathartic experience to talk about our culture with these interesting guests. And it just just now, I, I had that kind of dawn on me moment where it's it's these places and businesses that we as consumers love and they become a big part of our lives and we can step in and out of them they're not necessarily the same thing for the proprietors there and for them they're a place to work hard pour your blood sweat and tears and push your family to the next generation and and i think we take that for granted sometimes that that the the reason they exist is to push you out of them yeah and the opportunity now my dad who doesn't sit down and tell every customer his life story people get to know the people behind the organization in a way that they would have never gotten to know them otherwise. And it builds this connection between the community and my father and my uncle even more. It deepens it. Um, And my father is so grateful now. He called me last week, and, you know, I'm always desperate for a little validation, some affirmation from him. So finally he said last week, keep in mind the movie's a couple of years old now, He, you know, he said, oh, I'm so happy we did this. I don't care what it cost or how how hard it was to make it. I'm so glad we, we did this. And I'm like, thank you, I know. I told you it was going to be good from the beginning. I love that. You know, but it's really the opportunity if I were talking to a therapist, I would it would be like, "Oh, I wanted to reach out to my dad and connect to him in some way." And by making this film, I was able to say, "I I see you." Yeah. I wow, recognize I recognize what you did. You know, day to day, I can't, you know, we never really connect in a way that I would have liked. Yeah. But I see you, I recognize it, and I respect it, and it's like the best gift you can give to someone, but also it's a great gift for me to use my craft that I've spent all these years working on to present that story. I mean, also because, I mean, not to get too deep, but but when you come from poverty, you automatically are ashamed of it. Absolutely. So you kind of erase it Absolutely. or you don't um, bring it with you, let's say. Yeah. And so by letting him say, we grew up without electricity, I, you know, and having his sisters as well talk about where they actually came from, you're able to connect the accomplishment, you know, from then to now yeah. mm-hmm. in a very literal way. That's why I brought his sisters in to give us the detail, the color of what it was like growing up in, in Calabria. And I mean, you know, you were saying like this was the greatest gift you could have ever given your father. And you know how hella hard it is to find a gift mm-hmm. for Italian parents. They're <laughs> always right. like, you wasted your money. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, thanks. Yeah. No, I, there's never any gratification by <laughs> no, giving your Italian met father a gift. No, yeah. it's like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> they, they never say thank you. I know. My mother's like, you don't need to get I'm like, Mom, I've never given you anything. I, the best I could do is sit down and write you a letter because right. I, that's about all I got. My dad always takes it and goes, what are you freaking crazy? <laughs> what are you, stupid? And I'm like, wow, thank you. Yeah. I give you a gift yeah. and I get abuse back. You give yeah. me everything my whole life and I can't say thank you. But the- uh, no, but on my dad's birthday, I just, after the, like the party's over, if we have a party for him, I'll just go through his gifts and like just take what I want because he's <laughs> like, do you want that? Take it. I don't need it. That's so great. I got a ele- I got an electric toothbrush. I got a couple of sweaters. Yeah, you know, it's like just really shopping. a party for you. Yeah. He's like, where do I go? What do I need it for? But I love what you just said about, um, you know, how how ashamed that generation can be of their journey. And, you know, what I do with the nonna, I Mm -hmm. I always sit down with them and I interview them and I ask them about their lives. And sometimes they are really reluctant to reveal certain things to me and they really want to color everything with this rosy Mm -hmm. color and make you think that it was, you know, um, this happy-go-lucky family. And I, I'm like, no, 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 I want the real stuff. And they're like, no, 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 nobody wants to hear about it. I was like, everybody wants to hear mm-hmm. about it, and everyone needs to hear about it. 
and you shouldn't be ashamed of the fact that you know you had a donkey in the house or because right. it's it's our story yeah. this is where we came from and right. and that's a big reason right. in my mind that we struggle as a community to maintain this stuff because we 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 have a community and a and a culture that does love sort of family lore and hi- we we like to know history but we like to know a very sanitized version of it mm-hmm. and a simple version of it and i think you know we we talk a lot on this show about affronts to the Italian-American community and stereotyping and things that happen and it's hard to get the community to kind of gather together and uh, say, no, you know, this is not right. Uh, I think part of that is because we have done such a good job of whitewashing our history and and that's every generation to the next sort of taking out the parts that are not maybe comfortable for us to deal with and for better or worse, I think. Yeah, I, I, my father came from a small village and came here really... uh, really poor with his father and worked wherever he could get work and found other Italian Americans who would, I mean, freshly, you know, immigrated Italians and worked in those settings and kept his head down. My mother, on the other hand, grew up in a small town. Her father had been a police officer. There was a little more um, socialization, a little more community. So when she came to America, she had so much more pride for her Italian heritage and she didn't kind of buy America like whole cloth yeah. like my dad did. For my dad it was everything. Sure. Mm-hmm. And my mother always kept one foot firmly planted and her family's still there. And for me it was a great combination of seeing um that pride and also what the accomplishment what we were capable of yeah. that they weren't capable of there that's a big you know? theme for yeah, me because that generation it was either like you immigrated and wanted to forget italy altogether you're right. never going to go back or you went with the mindset it's i'm going to come to america i'm going to work my ass off and i'm going to go back yeah that yeah i mean I'll, I'll, it was either or it was either like you never wanted to see it again uh, or you were like i'm just here to make money and do what i gotta do and and live my life yeah. in my country. Yeah. Now, my mother had a healthy skepticism about America. She she liked to say that her father was half communist. <laughs> and um, your mother's from Calabria as well. They were from two towns apart. They wow. were arranged in Italy. My wow. father was wow. a shy twenty four year old. He went back, and someone, you know, the town yenta said, <laughs> "I have this young girl. I got a nice girl. For I got you. a nice girl for her for you. She's twenty one. She's almost, you know, past her due date." <laughs> Almost expired. No, she's almost expired. (laughs) So they met and they married, and he brought her to the U.S. And she, you know, she. I mean, she. She was definitely grateful for the opportunities that America presented her. But her family stayed in Italy, and every time we could, we'd go back. So I'm, in a way, I'm not like a lot of Italian Americans whose entire family came. Mm -hmm. And when you go back, you're a tourist seeing the places your family was. My mother's family's still there. Her sisters and nephews and nieces they're all in the area that we grew up in calabria so i saw them in june and and so i you know in a way i'm not when i go back to italy i'm not just an american tourist i'm a little bit in between because i spent so many summers full summers growing up there as a teenager and earlier so i speak italian better than a typical italian american quote unquote but i also have a calabrian accent and i have an american accent that's all but my vocabulary is good yeah. so the the waiters are all very confused about where i come from i, so, I, you know, I hear I, that a lot i I'm, think you know. when you are that uh, kind of i think it's a small percentage of italian americans yeah. who are like that i myself feel 
understand exactly what you're saying. Everyone comments on my heavy Pugliese accent. <laughs> yeah. um, Pat loves it. My, my sort of American accent. Uh, I can speak the dialect from like 100 years ago mm-hmm. that they don't even speak anymore, and they all think it's funny. But when you, when you grew up that way, and uh, when you grew up going to Italy and kind of living in real Italy, not the romanticized version mm-hmm. of uh, Rome or, yeah. or Florence or Venice, you really see the world a different way. Yeah. And you see Italy a different way. And you see Italians a different way. You see Italian-Americans a different way. And I always felt a little too Italian for Americans mm-hmm. and a little too American for Italians. God, wow, we're like siblings. <laughs> I understand that com- I understand yeah. that completely. The thing that's so great, that was great for me, is at 10 years old, let's say, I'm in America. My father's working 70, 65 hours a week. He's never, never home. When he's home, he's just, you know, recharging. I go to Italy at one, every store is closed. It's a ghost town. Yeah. Everyone's home with their families. So at a very young age, I saw one point of view, this American, like, desperate to succeed. And then I saw the Italian point of view, which is family's important. You're home in the afternoon. You, you don't give your life to your work. Mm-hmm. And it was really valuable for me to see both because I would have just presumed that my father's way was the only way. If yeah. I hadn't seen that in Italy, the whole culture works around not your identity being subsumed by your, your career or yeah. whatever. So. And then you, you mention it to them, and they're like, that's why they don't have enough. Uh, exactly. <laughs> that's <laughs> why they don't have anything. Yeah. Exactly. That's true. Exactly. That true. exactly. But, and I love that you went to Calabria in the in the film. You, yeah. You filmed there, and you, like, you know, it's not, guys, if you watch this movie, it's not like the Rolling Hills or the panorama of Positano. Like, <laughs> this is, Calabria mm-hmm. is south in a way the south is not even ready. Yes, to- it is. True. Oh yeah, it's real. Like, yeah. yeah, it is true. South. Uh, I well, I, everyone. I, yeah, when people ask me what you know, I'm just like Calabria is the place that you don't need to visit if you don't have family there. Because so, <laughs> I mean, it's so Italy. I mean, it's so beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And so much of Italy is so beautiful, but. There are so many places that are better to visit that are more prepared for your Easy, visit. More yeah, prepared for your visit than, well than said, Calabria, yeah. unless you have family there. Yeah. And, you know, I'm lucky my mother grew up on the beach, so it was never like being trapped in the hills. But. But, but your father's house does not look like but somewhere my father that you was, wanted to stay for the, for oh the God, entire summer. No. Oh, my God. My father's village is like the stereotypical place where the, he actually said there was a woman in bed. She was 100 years old. She still remembered him. And I'm just like, how does she even get care? It's amazing. Not that she was so no, far, but she was about, just far yeah. enough that it's like, my God, they never wanted to get closer yeah. to civilization. Yeah, it's but, also like rocky. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you, if you dig A bunch of half-built buildings. Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing place. I mean, that's the only region in the South that I have no family is Calabria, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I'm very proud of my Southern roots. And I'm a little different than you guys in that my parents were born here and most of my grandparents were born here. And by the grace of God, I had enough family in Italy and parents who were sort of conscious and hungry to keep us connected that we could go back and be around different branches of family. But Calabria was always sort of a mystery land mm-hmm. to us. And we would pass through it on the train from the Naples side of the family to the Sicily side of the family. But it was – and so I finally got to go in my first year at NIAF, and I was kind of blown away because, you know, like you go to Reggio and, like you know, they say, the most beautiful lungomare in Italy – walking the seafront there it really is it, it's it's got a lot to offer Tropea's Tropea is amazing oh, and, the, yeah. and the people are what you're going it's, to me the whole south is the people you we have history from before the Greeks we have phenomenal cuisine natural beauty but the people are the real draw to me but I was um you could see in Calabria 
the history of the South because it is hilly. It is it is inaccessible. It is sort of a halfway station between two at, throughout the course of history major metropolises in the Sicilian cities to Naples, mm-hmm. and you can see where in the era of sea uh, invasion from the sea these towns just sort of went on lockdown and never really had the opportunity to come out of it, frankly. I mean, they're just these microcosms left to themselves. And now it is kind of hard to get there. And government corruption means half the highways are left unbuilt Mm -hmm. and bridges aren't finished. Mm -hmm. And it's not an easy place to access, really. I spent one fateful summer in Calabria when um, my dad... The company my dad used to work for was an Italian company, and one of his colleagues bought a 40-foot sailboat. So I was 14, and he convinced us that it would be an awesome idea to (laughs) sail from Rome to Calabria. It would take Mm, four days. mm -hmm. We could stop at Capri. That was the only thing I cared about. (laughs) Um, My brother and I did this. My brother thought it was going to be Horatio Hornblower. (laughs) I thought it was going to be like sailing on the Mediterranean. In my vision, I had a hat. I (laughs) had terrible hats, but I had a hat. Everything was awesome. So we landed... That's a whole other story, that four-day voyage. (laughs) But we landed in Zambrone, Calabria. I'd never even heard of that. Yeah. (laughs) That's like... I've heard of it, but I haven't been. So the villa that we were staying in was very, very nice. It was like a compound. There were different houses. Like my my parents and I and my brother had our own little little house on the property. And then um, they took us to Tropea once. It was a tease. (laughs) <laughs> the rest of the time was spent in the Piazza of Zambrone, which is as big as this office. <laughs> and there was one bar with one pinball machine <laughs> and one jukebox that had, like, Destiny's Child, Aww. the Bills, Bills, Bills yeah, album, yes. and uh, basically nothing else <laughs> on there. And it was just, like, th- playing with these kids and seeing how they hadn't, you know, of course it was 2000-whatever it was, mm-hmm. but they didn't know... Things about yeah. pop culture. Yeah. They had a very limited. I remember meeting a cousin of mine. For, it was not really my cousin. He's my my cousin's in law. So I met him for the first time, and he was about my age. So I must have been like twenty four, twenty five, and I was with my family down around the Salerno area. And he had come from the countryside and moved in with my cousin and her husband in Salerno. And his bedroom was decorated like, and he just moved there, but it was decorated with like. Everything an American kid would have had in like 1994, like Simpsons posters oh and Michael Jordan, and I'm thinking Michael like Jackson this guy's probably. my age, you know what I mean? <laughs> but he was so removed from this stuff, it was like Austin Powers. He was devouring it because he had almost slept through pop culture for most of his life. I, it's amazing how well, inaccessible. There's so many different levels of. Um, my father has six siblings younger. He's the oldest. So based on who they married or didn't marry, and their interest in the culture. You know, some of my cousins are as kind of in love with Italy and visit as much as I do and speak the language and have a real attachment. And some of them haven't been back since they were teenagers on that one kind of like, you know, obligatory trip. Yes, the, the so, heritage trip. Yeah, and you never, you you can't really explain what your connection is. I mean, since, I mean, in my case, since, like I said, my mother really kept one foot there in a way, that made me feel much more... I don't know how to say it, Italian-American, but kind of more equally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a I, hybrid it, culture. It's, it's, it, it, you, you can wear both hats, I think. Yeah, and also culturally here, uh, I struggle a little bit sometimes. I mean, just like with social mores, like I go there and I'm a little off. I'm a little too American. So it's interesting to kind of 
wonder if that's part of it, you know, growing up kind of straddling the two cultures. I think it totally is. And I think it, I, I totally understand how two siblings can have a totally different Italian-American experience. Absolutely. My, yeah. my own mm-hmm. brother hasn't been there in, oh, God. 15 years now, wow. 12, 15 years, something like that. No attachment. No attachments. Um, could never go back and he'd be fine. And I crave it. Mm-hmm. I yeah. live for it in, in a sense. It's a part of me. Like yeah. if I don't go every year, it, it I feel different. You're missing something. Yeah. Start, my year starts in September after I come back. Wow. Yeah. That was our, that was my childhood and adolescence. Yeah. That's yeah. just how your cal- your internal calendar works. And, yeah. you know, I need to go there. I need to stay until yeah. I'm sick of the people. Yes. <laughs> until I fought with everyone. Yeah, of course. And then I need to come back. This is the first year since I was 12 years old, 11, that I wasn't in Italy at all this summer mm-hmm. because it's been so much work with this and my wife's job and uh and i totally understand what you're saying because i'm like how could summer have passed i didn't mm-hmm. spend any part of it mm-hmm. in italy and, and it throws you off it really does i i completely relate to that and i think it is an individual thing you know i have an older brother who has seen a lot of italy in a tourist way differently than i approach it he has a wife and kids and they've seen so much of it they love to travel but it's a different it's a different approach yeah you know and i um it's interesting. I don't know how you, what what part of you makes you, you know, um, like I love the language. I always grew up reading because I was fascinated by the language, but I'm fascinated by language in general as a yeah. writer. So and my brother's not, my brother speaks Italian not very well. And people always ask me, why does your brother not speak Italian like you do? And I'm just like, my brother doesn't speak English as well as I do. It's just not, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, and my brother's so intelligent. I don't mean that. Yeah, I yeah. just mean it's not his reading, writing, literature is not his thing. Yeah. So it wouldn't be an Italian either. Yeah. Not it's everyone functional. can deal with that, with the Italy that, you know, we deal with, you know, not everyone is made to deal with like the stores closing for four hours yeah. or the no air conditioning or just certain things you, people are like, no, I'm on vacation and I want all the thing. I want yeah. all my amenities and I can't live without them. And like some of my friends are like, but there's no pharmacy that's open all the time. What if something happens? Yeah. What do I, what do I I do and you know to explain <laughs> to them that there's no hospital in my town like yeah. really freaks them out. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, we had one, but it wasn't yeah. great anyway. So. Yeah, that's well, true. It's funny. Yeah, I mean, I think people want to like they want to bring their sequestered kind of like little insulated life with them on vacation. Yeah. And Italy's not a lot of Italy's not. not like for I, that. Was, yeah. I went. I was in Milan in June. Um, my cousin got married, so my schedule was thrown because I was in Italy in June. She got married June fifteenth. So. I got sick in Milan. I went to the pharmacy. I told them. I didn't know the word for phlegm, but I figured it out. <laughs> and we were You figured it fine. out. What is the word for phlegm? Mucco. Oh, yeah. It makes so sense. So it's mucus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and they diagnosed you on the Yeah. Spot. He gave me two things. You know, and Italians love powders. And they love, <laughs> of course. Yeah, there's <laughs> no the ta- they don't, why tinctures they? and things. Well, yeah. They love eyedroppers. The pharmacists are basically doctors. Yes. That's there. true. Yes. They, they are very, yeah. you know, it They're is. They're so trustworthy. I know. Yeah. I feel really in good hands usually. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, it, or it's like, you know, the pharmacist's husband gets to work there and also be a pharmacist, never having gone to school at all. <laughs> of but. Course. He probably knows his stuff. Yeah, but there's—I yeah. I brought them back. They're like packets of powders, like a—it's like yeah. a whatever a flu treatment. My mother loves those things. Every time we go there, she's got f- all these fake ailments, so she can get all the different powders that come in. You know, they come in those yeah. like, mm-hmm. look like a almost like a packet of sweet and low. Yeah, exactly. And my mother's <laughs> got them for everything. Everything. She believes in them. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And you know what? They—they they do have 
much less restrictive laws around medications there. So you are getting some stuff that we just don't get here because God, they really do because yeah. to fl- I I after my mom passed flying became a little I don't know if it's related but my flying became a little tricky for me and I was like screw this I'm not going to stop traveling because of takeoff freaking me out so I went to the pharmacy in Italy and I didn't know what they gave me and then I looked it up and it was Ativan and I was like oh <laughs> Wow. So luckily, I only take it to fly, <laughs> but I, I was really grateful that they were able to yeah. just give it to me over the counter and treat me like an adult, yeah. and, you know, there's a lot less drug abuse yeah. there yes. anyway. So, um, yeah, it's, it's you know, there's certain things about the culture that are that are really appealing, that are different from here. Yeah. It's and your mom in the movie is not present. She, you, you mentioned she passed. I scoured, I scoured footage. It's funny. I did shoot some footage with my mom. My mom passed from brain cancer in 2006. She was 58 so sorry, years yeah, old. Sorry. Thank you. Um, but my mom was really a pivotal part of the restaurant. But my mom was hated being photographed. Um, she didn't hate it. She just didn't, wasn't interested. Mm-hmm. So there's so little video or photographs of her. What's in the movie is all I could really find of her in that setting. Wow. And, um, you know, like most Italian couples, maybe my father is an incredible worker. B my mother had big ideas. My mother started waitressing there when we were old enough to leave with my great grandmother who was babysitting us. And my mother just saw everything and was like, you should do this. You should do that. You should buy that liquor license. You should add seafood. I remember them adding fresh mozzarella like a caprese to the menu. And it was like, what's going to happen if no one's going to want to eat this? No one knows what fresh mozzarella is. So you can imagine what's that, the early 80s. Um, I remember my childhood is my mother pushing my father to be ambitious, come up with, you know, push things forward. And she was also, she ended up hostessing after she was sick of waitressing, and she was the f- another face of the place. And as they say in the movie, my uncle's like, if we, she or I had an idea, we would just use each other to convince your father. <laughs> so she would tell me or I would tell her, and then the next day he'd be like, okay, let's do that thing that you said. Because yeah, she would like, convince him. It's like, you know, that big fat Greek wedding. So, you know, the man is the head and the woman is the neck. And yeah. you, t- you have to turn it. E- because they don't listen. You know, men yeah. like that, men like your father, don't always listen no. to a new idea. It has to kind of seem like it's their idea. Well, I grew up with I grew up with my parents always bickering about the restaurant. And I grew up with him saying, there are two owners, mm-hmm. me and my brother, mm-hmm. um, to kind of get her to, like, back off. But eventually he did everything and she was right. I hate to say yeah. it. Yeah, but then he and he says that in the movie too. She she wasn't um she was reasonably ambitious. She wasn't outrageous, you know. Yeah. She wasn't like let's start a chain of them. She was really just like these are the ways that we can improve this. I see that in my family a lot like my you know people talk about my dad's uh, businesses and what he's built and I'm always very adamant that it was my parents together because yes. you know that I think that's something of the Italian family model like my brother and I talk about it a lot because when I'm not working on the show in the little time that I can pay attention to family businesses um, we have our roles and we work well together but but we almost were raised in like a corporate model almost in terms of how we as a family engaged decisions and you know my dad had the ultimate say but my mom had her sort of uh portfolio if mm-hmm. you will of like even from from life to business and i don't know it's something very collective about it i think it depends on 
a million things. The the character of the the personality and the character of the person, how yeah. they were raised. My father's the oldest of seven. My mother was the youngest of four. Wow. My father's mother was fifteen when he was born. Wow. My mother's my mother was like eleven years after her third sibling, so her parents were early forties. Wow. So my mother was fully raised by adults who had already raised children. Yeah. My father was born of a teen yeah. bride. And he was the first, and, and his his young life was raising his siblings. Yeah. So those two people have different opportunities presented to themselves. And then when they join up, of course, she has kind of more of a conviction, more of a yeah. more of a grounding in the world. She grew up with adult parents who were able to raise her. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's amazing. And she was sheltered because she was a woman. So it, this brings up an interesting point to me. Your father and his brother come here. Your father and mother married. Um, none, no, no children came with them. Your, your dad or your uncle? Well, my father, my father and his father. My father came with his father, oh, okay, right. and then my uncle was left there to kind of be the man of the house and resented that. He says so in the movie. He tried to join the air force to scare my grandfather, which my grandfather found out and then brought him over to the U.S. as well. Wow. So then my father and his brother and my grandfather worked here in a variety of jobs to put a down payment on a house and brought the rest of the family over. So I think it was two years of those three men yeah. working uh, in Hell's Kitchen and bakeries and et cetera to put a down payment down. My, then my gr- grandmother and the rest of the siblings came over. And so, and how- then my father went back and married my mother after that. And brought her over. And, and brought her and over. And how did they come to own the pizzeria? Was it a... So my father was sick of taking the bus into Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> I think he was scared oh. of the crime in Hell's Kitchen sure. in the 60s, which, I mean, he thinks, I live in the East Village now, and he thinks I'm crazy, because in his mind, <laughs> See, right. and I'm just like, Circa Pop, it's, Mayor just, Lindsay. Yeah, it's, I'm like, Pop it's just a big mall now, yeah. don't worry. <laughs> it's yeah. the truth, yeah. It's really not like New York that. is so soft. It's so soft. Yeah. So, Does he still tell you to like, not go to 42nd Street and stuff? Cause he <laughs> yeah, no, he, he just he's just bewildered by the whole thing. He just doesn't understand why I would want to live here, and I'm just like, it's the whole world at my fingertips. How yeah. could I not want to live here? Especially when my whole family's 40 minutes away. It's yeah. not even like... It's such a blessing to have your family in Jersey, um, to have them that close. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I don't feel guilty. Far. Far, yes. Well, it's another world, and it's also yeah. have access. Yeah, yeah. They're not stopping in and surprising me, luckily. Yeah. But um, so he was sick of just commuting into the city. So my uncle Fred knew Rudy, the original Rudy, who had opened the place in 1963. Mm. And needed a pizza man. So my father had been working with dough and in a bakery for a long time. So making pizza wasn't that far of a leap for him. He got the job. So now he's commuting within Jersey with a car 20 minutes as opposed to coming into Hell's Kitchen. And he had my brother at that point, I think. Yeah, he had my brother had just been born. So I think he wanted to be closer to home. So he was a pizza man. And then Rudy, the original Rudy, wanted to sell the place. My father felt too young to buy it. Someone else bought it. Then three years after that in 77... Those people sold it and said, Charlie, come on, like, you know this place. You should, you know, my father, ever cautious, asked his brother, who had been kind of like a part-time contractor, jack-of-all-trades, to join him, Freddie, and and take over the restaurant with him, and he agreed. So Freddie and my dad took over October 17th, 1977, so I think it's 40, 42 years that they've run it, and they've run it nonstop with no interruption since one of the two of them is always there. That's amazing. Um, Yeah, and that slowly... And then... And he's, uh, they say it in the movie, it's very few employees at the beginning until they pay their loans back. And then my mom, once we got old enough, my mom got involved. Um, And a lot of the employees have been there for decades. It's really you walk in and you recognize a lot of faces. I mean, these people knew me when I was four years old. I I find this amazing. So 
It's interesting. One of our co-hosts, Dolores, who's uh, uh, on uh, maternity leave from the show right now, uh, she is the daughter of immigrants that came over, and her father had a pizzeria. Her mother worked in the back of the pizzeria. Uh, my grandfather was a pizzaiola. Two of his brothers were pizzaiola. Mm-hmm. And I, I think for me, I've tried as much as I can. Like, pizza is such a huge industry now, right? There's mm-hmm. magazines. There's conventions. There's. It, it's not just the New York slice anymore. It's not just an Italian-American thing anymore. It's California pineapple mm-hmm. and Neapolitan and this and that. But I, I've tried to understand as a business how these little places could support full families, sometimes multiple branches of a family. And I, I wonder if there's something in the pizzeria as a business model, as a cultural touch point, as a sort of, um, I think it was like the first spear into the American consciousness mm-hmm. uh, for our people. But I feel like a lot of families have it at the root of their American story in certain cases. I, I don't know. I just think... It's it's a it's a good business. It's a skill you could bring without an education here. Yeah, I think you that's could also bring true. that something that was so simple for Italians to to bring over, and yet uh, unfamiliar to other cultures. I guess is that whole aspect of baking and pizza and Italian cooking and Italian pastries. I think. Yeah, and they're they're very easy to like, so they really you know traveled well yes, into the U.S. Well, I think. Yeah. So I don't. So my father's not a gourmet at all. My father likes. Good quality ingredients. He makes the pizza the same way. As you know in the film, the ovens are the original ovens, which he believes in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, which he I wouldn't agree with change it. the ovens. Oh, God. They My say father, you're not supposed to. It's like a real thing. Well, they don't make them like that anymore. Yeah. They don't make them like that before anymore. Yeah. The stone is three inches instead yeah. of one inch. It's a big deal. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> watch the movie for more details. But, um, <laughs> yeah, my father is really like it. ain't broke, don't fix it. Yep. My father bought a Mercedes in 1985. It was really a big deal for him and my mom. And... You, I, you won't be surprised that he still drives it. And it probably looks brand new. It looks brand new. It has like 40,000 miles on it. And it's a boat. I mean, I'll, it's, yeah. a, it's a 500 SEL. It's like the <laughs> biggest one they made. And I don't think I could even drive it now. It's funny. My father-in-law is the same. My father-in-law is a, a doctor, came from Italy, from a very poor family in Abruzzo, um, worked his way through the public school system here, and then went back to Italy to study medicine. And he is very much like lives very, very... Um, respectfully mm-hmm. and his car is a Mercedes I think it's like an 87 or an 88 and I'm embarrassed that my little Fiat uh, mm-hmm. 500 is so messy and I've got my boxes and his is pristine everything is pristine it, it's amazing to my me my uncle Dominic was a waiter for 50 years at Gargiulo's in Coney Island ah, he mm-hmm. has a white Ford Crown Victoria looks uh. like he just drove it off the <laughs> same thing it's yeah. enormous yeah, yeah. It yeah. is an enormous big car. I have, I have to say, I have that impulse. Growing up, when we, when my mom would buy us something, it was kind of like, "Take care of this with your life. Yeah. You don't know if you're ever getting another one." And I'm pretty tidy. I have to say, my car is in good shape, and my apartment, like, I'm pretty respectful of things because of that. I have that impulse that carried over to me. You're I have lucky. to push myself sometimes to be like, "Tone, you can update this. It's okay. It's not a big deal." Like you can, you know, even if your laptop still works, you can get the faster one now. It's yeah. okay. You know, I think you know? living that way, because I lived with my nonna when I was in college, because, you know, nice Italian girls don't mm-hmm. dorm. Of course. <laughs> um, so I lived in a basement with her and just full of old things that looked new. And 
um, things that she would never would refuse to throw away. So I think I was always a little bit resentful of that mm-hmm. because my parents weren't like my parents went to college and they were I'm first generation Italian American as well. But my my parents were just of a different world than she was. She was the oldest of seven and you know made forty dollars a week at mm-hmm. a clothing factory. Mm-hmm. So. I, it always kind of made me mad when she would act like that because I'm like, no, you can buy another one. We can, It's okay. You don't need to fix this. And I, you know, I said this to my brother a few weeks ago. I said, you know, it's funny. We're we're getting older. We have we've had financial stability for a bit now, but the mentality is still scrounge. Yeah. Act yeah. like this is your last dollar. And I was like, it's, I I call it poverty consciousness. And I'm just like, I don't want to live the rest of my life carrying that with me when it's not my lived experience yeah you know growing up it was true yeah that it wasn't like the christmas tree was filled with toys underneath absolutely not i could count on one hand how many pet toys my parents bought me that i remember it wasn't like that at all but um i don't want to carry that with me now where it's like oh man you got to do me this favor because i have no money all the time yeah it doesn't feel true it's very difficult i look at like my parents and you know my mom is far more um, uh, dollar conscious than my dad is. Mm-hmm. And my parents have built beautiful businesses. They're very successful. And there's something I admire about that because they raised us. I was born in the tenement house that my dad and my grandmother were born in, and I kind of watched their trajectory into the suburbs and that whole experience. And I think, wow, we didn't really change that much as as to what are our core values and the time we spend together. You could put us back in that tenement house and mm-hmm. it'd be same, same family. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is my mom's ability to keep that sort of poverty consciousness mm-hmm. through it all. And so I think there's some real benefit to it, but at the same point, you're right. It's like then when you deny yourself or when you're making extra stress out of it, where's the balance? But it's that, it's that way of thinking that made Italian-Americans you know, successful, even though they were pizza people mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, factory workers yep. and waiters. I mean, my, my uncle is a millionaire on paper yep. who is a waiter, you know, just oh, sure, of in course. real estate and all these things, but the couch is still covered in plastic. Yeah. Oh yeah. My, my grandmother talked so proudly of her father, the, the, who was a sanitation worker who went to and from work in a suit every day, put on his jumpsuit because for him it was, you know, he might as well have been a Fortune 500 CEO and this was his job and he was going to be responsible. And mm-hmm. I just admire that so much. Well, and my dad now has no concept, especially as a widower, he has no concept how to, I mean, he never was like a, a, a social butterfly, but now he really, alone, he has no concept of what to do. All of his identity is tied up in the restaurant. It's his social yeah. circle. It's his family. You know, I mean, that, I mean, he has 27 people on staff, and wow. he feels he's a, a parent to them, too. It's funny. One of, his, one of his guys who worked in the front said, oh, your dad's the best. He's like a second dad to me. And it, this is many years ago, and I was like, I remember being angry. I was like, he's not even a first dad to me. Yeah, wow. he's, he's probably spent I was more so, time with that guy. He spent guy. so wow. much time then, there. Yeah. But to my father, he's like, what did you want me to do? I had to... Yeah. I had to put yeah. a roof over your head. That's he, he's not sitting there thinking, I wish I had played catch with my kids. <laughs> right, of well, course, because yeah. I think we grew up. No one up... played catch with him. You know? <laughs> right. well, Tony, you and I probably right. grew up watching TV and, and watching Danny Tanner yeah. and be a dad and, and being like, but he's like. He's Which one is Danny Tanner? On Full House. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Danny <laughs> Tanner, well, you're a little younger than I am, but yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, yeah, fine. Happy Days, but you know Liver what? and Shirley. Like, 
those yeah. dads, like those dads had jobs, yet they solved all their kids' problems. <laughs> they were there. <laughs> they were always yeah. there. If you went to your dad with the problem, you'd be like, what do you want from me? Yeah. Wait, can we talk <laughs> about just... the biggest, we have to talk about the biggest, funniest thing, though, to me, which is back to school night. Oh. Were you terrified um, of your parents going to, well, no, your parents yes. are college educated. Yes, but they still, like... I mean, my mom was defensive if the teachers said anything yeah, bad about too. me. Yeah. And my dad was was like, uh, you know, uh, always believed them because my dad is more old school. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad had a, a, a difficult upbringing and stuff. So I think when his parents talk to the teachers, it's like you got smacked like in front of the teacher. Yeah. If they say, well, they were late or they don't pay attention, uh-huh. it was like, and, and they're like, no, 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 you can't hit the kid in front of us. <laughs> right. Like it oh was, God. it I didn't um, like when they would go and mix it with the other American kids because it was like, oh, my God, they're going to know how Italian, like, they're going to yeah. get it, Yeah, how Italian we are. And when we moved to suburban New Jersey, where there were no Italians at that time, mm-hmm. we went from Brooklyn where every, you know, they saw my friend's parents, so mm-hmm. it was all right. But there it became very apparent that my dad's name was Vito. Yeah. My parents had accents, and I realized that they had accents. People were started telling me, they're like, oh, your parents have accents. I was like, no, they don't. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, no, no, they do. And I was like, they <gasps> do not. They do not. <laughs> Are you crazy? Yeah. I, my, my mother had a fifth grade education, and my father had a third grade education wow. in Italy. So they came here with no concept of what the American education system would be like. Sure. And so I would be like, what happened? What happened? What? I was like, <laughs> on, on, you know, like really like nervous while they were there when they would go. And they were, they'd come back and be like, what? It was fine. Like, I have nothing to report. And I was like, okay. And then the next day I'd be like looking at the teachers like, what? <laughs> Did my parents stick out to you? Yeah. You know? I think when your parents are immigrants and you grow up in, in America, there's almost this sense of that you're parenting them. Yes. In a way. Yeah. You know, because, you know, I grew up having to read things for my grandmother, for my aunts and uncles and stuff. And there is this level of like, oh, my, I have to make sure you're OK. Like, are, are, can you talk? Can you do you know what you're doing? Can you go Absolutely. somewhere? And the, you know, there is this uh, inherent fear that they're going to they're not going to they're going to have a bad experience. Well, that's you're, really you're interesting. You're like a tour guide, really, for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting, it's another layer, you're right, that if, if my parents had been familiar with American culture, then I would have breathed easier, I guess. But you're right, you're a tour guide for them into a culture that you're learning because yeah. you're growing up in it, and then you bring them into it and try to explain to them, you know, I mean, my father sees my nieces having this, like, freewheeling adolescence, which, you know, by his standards, they're... You know, they're not especially free. You know, they're not especially. But to him, it's like they're socializing. They have friends. They have friends over. He's just like bewildered by my grandfather. My grandfather can't understand why we have friends over it. Like the concept of having people in the house, like bringing them into your like your home is a place where you come after work. You have family dinner. You sleep like he thinks we're like gypsies because people are in and out of our house. And it's just a different. But there was just a sense of responsibility that I had as a, as a very young woman, you know, filling out Medicare paperwork and stuff and making phone calls to insurance company or all these things that, you know, my friends that were American didn't, they never really, had to do that. Yeah, yeah, have to do. But it was it was always this layer of you have to be someone's mouthpiece yeah. in, in a society. I, I always think about that. We, we talk about this a lot on the show because my parents are born here and I always describe my sort of immigrant experience as moving from our Italian neighborhood with all the people that we were related to to suburban New Jersey and one of the few towns like yours that had no Italians because we are 
everywhere in Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, but we missed the boat. We ended up in this Irish town. And I had a very similar sense in everything that I did that, like, I had to, I don't want to say teach my parents, but introduce them to things. And stupid little things. Like, I remember one of the mothers, you know, every mother in our school was had, like, these high khaki pants and, like, polo shirts and, like... <laughs> the wasp Yeah, outfit. like, the wasp outfit. And, like, because, you know, the Irish do a great impression of wasps. And I remember my mom showed up one time in, like, the Brooklyn uniform, like, you know, the jeans, the boots. Uh, and one of the mothers commented, and I was so hurt by it mm-hmm. for my mom. She didn't didn't bother her at all, you know. But uh, it, for me, it was like we were we were clearly alien to these people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's done a lot of, in every generation. For those of you who have parents or immigrants or those that did the suburban thing, it's done a lot to actually keep our culture alive almost i think that sense of otherness is so for, for people that have been here so many generations on average we italian americans i think have a sense of otherness that a lot of other ethnic groups have outgrown at this point yeah and i think that there's all different levels of comfort with it and there's all different levels of celebration of it yes. and I, I you know i definitely went through a period where i was ambivalent about being italian american and also when you discover that you're gay as a teenager it kind of takes over and you have sure. like that culture to deal with and that identity to kind of parse out and figure out what what makes sense and now that i'm older i'm more settled into being comfortable being italian american traditional queer and you know it's like a lot of things that you end up mixing up to make your um per, your kind of personal identity yeah. and that's why it was easier for me to make the film now than it would have been 10 or 15 years ago probably yeah because i reached this point my dad was turning 70 the transition was happening in the shopping center my mom had passed you know several years ago so there was just this freedom for me to be able to do this thing and now i'm kind of just like okay i made the movie like what else do you want from me you know like (laughs) well that's a great that's a great segue as we draw to a close on our time together so the pizza business right your father, his brother, they'll be in there forever. That they're those men can't retire. They don't feel. They don't see. I mean, you know, everyone says he can't retire. He shouldn't retire. And I don't. Um, I don't see an, uh, a, a way out for him. Honestly, either. What is he gonna do? He's not gonna play golf. He's not. A, yeah, he's not a golfer. He's not a card player. He's not a. Ga- I mean, he's not any of those things. He's always been the like the best, most reliable worker bee. And that's one of the best things that I don't think we mentioned that we should, which is the constancy of knowing. That man does that work and then comes home. I was lucky enough to have that. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's valuable. So all of my adolescent whining about him being absent or not present or not available, there's the balance to say, I knew what this man was doing and where he was. And yeah. there was no question for me. And I think that's one of his greatest um, attributes was that reliability um, that we knew, you know, what he was doing. He was very single-minded about that. But to a man like that, that is the greatest thing you can do is yep. to, that is your greatest expression of love is to do this, you know, mundane work every day I, yeah. and come home yeah. and, you know, buy you a house with heat in it and yep. food and stuff. That, oh, yeah. That's how they know how to show love. Nobody was like yeah. writing down their feelings on, on no. greeting cards every, every day at their house when they were young growing up. So we, I think as first-generation Italian-Americans, expected our parents because of society and movies and TV and pop culture to love us in a way that was very American when they had this very immigrant Italian way of showing it, which was the only way they knew how, Mm -hmm. you know, so you can't expect people to do things that they just are not taught to do. Yeah. 
Right, exactly. And as you get older, you realize that and you learn it and you bring it back into your understanding of them. And, you know, my mom was such a strong personality that when my, I didn't really get to know my father until after my mom passed because then he was present, he Mm -hmm. was primary, and we had to. She wasn't there to kind of be a buffer. And I, you know, we're so different and yet that it was a great opportunity to, to get to know who he was actually underneath everything else because he would... You know, I made the movie for my nieces and for him, and because I know that story won't get retold otherwise. You know, his specific story won't get retold. He's not sitting around telling people. The culture's not necessarily celebrating it. Yep. Um, And I really wanted there to be a record of it. I thought it was important, too. And and he's not this, um, you know, from watching your father throughout the movie, like, he wasn't this... Uh, stone-faced guy there was like a point in the movie where he he got very emotional and he talked about how he is so proud of your brother for taking uh the, taking on his legacy mm-hmm. in a sense and of course he's proud of you too but it's just it i think it was all wrapped up in that one moment of him realizing that you know my kids are successful are, are successful yeah. adults and i raised them and you know i did that and uh, yeah. Again, like he wasn't going to talk a lot about it, but he he just got very uncomfortable and like you know looked at his watch, yeah. and didn't know where to look, and he was about to cry. There's something really, there. It's another aspect of the of the immigrant experience is that I think my father looks at us and kind of doesn't know quite where we came from exactly, where this level of accomplishment came mm-hmm. from. Well, you know why? In many ways, I think you said it before. They put their head down and worked. They yeah. just put like how often do they take they they they. Uh, lean up for a breath, you know. It, it's you don't have the uh, luxury of, of yeah. reflective. You're, you're you are sacrificing everything, especially nowadays. Like we live in this world where everybody's chasing their passion, which I think is great. Yeah. But you know what? Sometimes life does not present you the opportunity to chase your passion. You got to get there. And these people never even factored in their passion, their emotion. Just put their head down and to take up breath and and raise it and see kids that you've created and what they've done, that's got to be a very overwhelming experience. I think so, yeah. I'm just glad you got that moment on film because they don't throw a lot of those out there. I, (laughs) you know, there's a moment a couple of years ago where he said my brother and me and and him were sitting talking at the restaurant and he said something about being proud of us, that we were different, but he was proud of us in different ways. And then he had to get up and leave. Wow. Like he got up and left because yeah. he was so he was so emotional, and I looked at my brother and I was like, "We have to remember this moment because my dad says that he's proud of us so rarely." <laughs> Still, waters. There's run so deep, little, you know? you know. There's so <laughs> little affirmation, verbal affirmation there. Um, so I was like, "Remember this moment <laughs> because it's who knows when it's coming again." But I was glad to get it on film talking about my brother because they're much closer in a way. My bro- my father lives with my brother, and they're much. They're also more similar mentality-wise mm-hmm. than I. Than I'm, I'm like way out there relatively. Um, so I, I was glad to show that to my brother too, to just be like, you know, he, he can't say it to you, but he, this is, he, he really does feel this way. And of course, people tell me all the time how proud he is of I, me, I, but I'm just like, can you tell him to tell me that? Yeah, but no, they'll tell everyone. <laughs> else. They'll tell everyone but us. Yeah, yeah. You know, they'll yeah. tell everyone else. Yeah, but not you. Yeah, that's yeah, true. That's yeah. very true. I think that's just that staunch Italian man thing where, yeah. you know, to you, it's like you can't even die right. But to other people, it's like, oh, my kid's the greatest thing. And then when you hear it on the, the when it circles around, you're like, really? Yeah. Is this the same person? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. 
So I go to the restaurant now. I, I, I talked to him yesterday on the phone, and, you know, he has aches and pains, and what am I going to do? And I'm just like, Pop, at some point, if you don't figure out a way to slow down, to semi-retire, you're going to be there until you can't be there anymore physically. So that's something you have to come to terms with. I, I, I don't have a – whatever you want makes me happy, whatever you, makes you happy. But, you know, I think the idea of doing what makes him happy is a very foreign concept to my yeah. father, as it is to a lot of people in that generation. So I don't know that he knows how to access what would actually make me happy. And I'm entitled to do it. And I'm going to make a big choice here. It's not in his wheelhouse. No. So I think he'll be there for a while. That being said, it's really his lifeblood. It really gives him so much pleasure. Um, he's so happy to, to have the, And he really does have so many regulars who he knows. You know, he doesn't know everybody's name, but he recognizes them. And he knows their story and their kids. And, you know, he's seen people grow up. And that's all true. And I think that's really meaningful for him. That is such a beautiful thing about our culture and the, I, I, pizza to me, I know it so, sort of sounds silly, but it's a vehicle for our culture. I, you know, it, it to be there at the center of people's lives and interact with them, and to evolve the the question forward. He, here's a man who clearly sacrificed the idea of professional happiness to give you the opportunity to pursue yours. Mm-hmm. You are a filmmaker. You're obviously a great filmmaker. What's what's next for you? What what are you working on? Do you, are you going to do any more of these kind of like? self-exploration or no 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 thank you um (laughs) i'm really glad that i did it and you know it's funny as you you can imagine like once you make it you know looking back on it you're like oh i would do this completely differently if i were to do it again but that's part of the process of learning um i've been i've been developing a tv show for a while that i'm hoping may come to fruition soon it's a completely different subject but it is about kind of the American dream in its own way and and accomplishing. I mean, it's about a, a, a an undereducated woman in the 50s and her route um, as a lady wrestler based on a real oh, wow. based on a real woman who I got the opportunity to meet. Wow. So I've been developing that for a while. And I realized that a lot of it is the same issues as Pizza Shop, which is you have no business being this successful. How did you do it? Yeah. You know? So in her case, it's a young woman with no education who was like, wrestle? Sure, that'll make me more money than the AMP. Wow. And I'm like, what gave you the courage to do, you know? So I've been developing that for a while. Um, I work in film, uh, in production. I don't have a new, another project like this, but you know, sometimes something just grabs you and then that's what you're yeah, doing. For absolutely. me, Mike, I've been lucky enough that something's grabbed me and I've been able to figure out a way to do it, kind of outside of the traditional methods you know this was very much kind of a niche little piece that i wanted to do for my family and i'm so grateful that you guys liked it and that people are connecting to it because i i do think that even beyond italian americans other cultures other immigrants can see the parallels with their experience you know i've had people say to me my father's a polish bricklayer but it's the same story and by the way i did not know that the government we were going to have such an anti-immigrant yeah. feeling yeah. in the government right when i was making this where they p- kind of paint all immigrants with such a broad brush the vast majority of immigrants really just want a better life for Absolutely. their families they yeah. want to they want to play by the rules they want to work hard and they just want that opportunity that they don't have where they're coming from yeah so let's not you know so let's just remember that because that's really the truth you I, know i've often said my life has become I'm a professional Italian-American. I was in D.C. I've been in every organization now doing this. And I've often thought that one thing we could, and I think you've done that in this film, give back to the country at large, is we've got this very unique experience as a a people 
where, you know, we were, uh, on the most case, very foreign when we started to come in numbers. Uh, you know, in the earliest part of the immigration, Catholic in a country that was avowedly Protestant. And, you know, we, we were really the, the, the lowest of low. I mean, even in the actual government ideas on, on ethnicity, you know, Italian mm-hmm. was, we were not white people. We weren't the mainstream. and But we've succeeded uh, on average exceptionally well. And I think that the idea that we can disseminate that and study that and sort of, I don't want to say present a recipe, but sort of use our experience as a lens for a country that that is now more than ever Mm -hmm. suddenly struggling with this issue. But even when our country is at peace with the issue, I think it's It's a gift we can give back. Yeah, because it's it's a lens that people feel comfortable with because of pizza and because of our culture and the mainstream. And they feel like they're comfortable with us, so they don't necessarily think of the immigrant experience, but... We've got this great little narrative that can be I shared. really believe that, I actually really believe that in specificity, you pull out the universal about humanity. Oh, so wow, I like that. I really have always thought it, and I've always yeah. thought it in, in writing, and I always thought the more specific you can be about someone's experiences, the more you can connect to their humanity. That's why I wanted to be as specific as I could and tell this story. I don't think, I mean, I realize after the fact that the story is exceptional in some ways, but to me, it's just how I grew up. Yeah. I have friends who who pick on certain lines in the movie and they're like, that's incredible. And I'm just like, really? Yes. That's just yeah. how I, you know, my uncle says, my rule is if I, if I wouldn't eat it, I, I don't serve it. And I have friends who think that that's like the holy grail. Wow, that's like, amazing. That's so obvious yeah. to me. Why is that a big deal to you? Yeah. But you discover that people are, you know, have a bunch of different experiences and we're raised in so many different ways. And how we were raised is specific to our culture. You think you'll do another documentary again? Yeah. Yeah. I like short form. Yeah. You know, this is 57 minutes. I had made some previous 10-minute short portraits. Um, I like things that make me feel good. I like making things that maybe are under-recognized things that are valuable that we could benefit from, you know? So Mm -hmm. I thought this is that. I like bringing it close to people. I don't like making movies for cinephiles. I I like making movies for regular people because I don't... um, there's one, something to be said for film craft and artistry, and I, of course, admire that and aspire to that. But it's really gratifying that people who don't necessarily connect to films in a, every day, that they see it and they really respond to it because they see themselves reflected in it in some yeah. way. I like speaking at that level, no, it beautiful. turns out. And I discovered that. Yeah. You know, I went into film school thinking I was going to be who knows what, right. but I discovered that I really like um, to use film as a way to talking to people who don't necessarily have access to those emotions or that part of their consciousness or their history. Or... That's fantastic. Yeah. So yeah. I have two have questions for yes. you. What, um, we should order lunch, you guys. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm going pizza now. Cocktails or something. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to an aspiring filmmaker? I would say don't be scared to get your hands dirty. Jump in there. Don't be shy about getting people coffee. Absorb as much as you can through osmosis. You know, I've been a I've been a production coordinator in the in an office. I've been a script supervisor where I'm watching continuity on other people's sets. I've made my own shorts. I'm about to start editing my own stuff. I just studied editing this summer. I just think that you have to love it and you have to want to learn every aspect of it. But without the passion for a story, it can be really a hard business to get mm-hmm. into, obviously. When you have a passion for a story, that will lead the way into you getting it made. And, you know, sometimes it's a podcast. Sometimes it's yeah. not a film. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a short. Sometimes it's a doc. Sometimes it's an essay. But if you 
But if you lead with the need to tell a story, you'll figure it out. Mm. And in the meanwhile, practice your craft in every single way that you can. Be around people, go see movies, read, you know. And um, people recognize that impulse. The impulse to learn rather than the impulse to get ahead. Wow. You know, those are different things. That's fantastically. Yeah. That's a great point. That is really important. Yeah. That's, I mean, I mopped. I mean, I li- my father was like, you mopped floors on a film set? Why yeah. don't you just come do that here? But I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, they see that I work hard. And then the next job I got was a better job. Because that's you what do the that. first thing I did when I started coming into this podcast and really falling in love with it was start to edit, teach myself to edit the yep. shows. To get look, a granular level. At, look, my father said to, has said a million times in front of me or to me, never be ashamed of honest work. Yep, absolutely. So whether it's taking out the trash on a film set or getting producers coffee, I've done it all and everything benefited me. It's wonderful. It's like that Patti Smith quote, like you you, you have your name, do, do whatever, you know, keep your name in good repute yeah. and everything will follow. Amen. And you know? what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Oh, God. Wow. Um, <clears throat> I would tell my 20-year-old self to relax and to trust himself more and to um, not, I don't know, I guess not really worry so much about appearances and about a, a public idea of who I was rather than actually getting closer to who I really wanted to be as a filmmaker, as a person. You know how Italians are. I was very caught up in... in well, la figura. Figura, la yeah, figura. Yeah, also figura, far, yeah. I'm going to be gay, but I'm going to be a good kind of gay. I'm going to be that Italian-American acceptable kind of gay. And I'm going to be <laughs> a filmmaker so they <laughs> admire me. And there was a lot of, like, proving yeah. Yeah. to people. And you don't discover until you get older that just being who you are is the proof. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I was a good person anyway. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Or I was, con- or I was at least visibly working towards being a good person. So this idea of like this Oscar is going to show everyone that I'm okay, like it's it was a, it was a you know a childish kind of thing that you grow out of. But at the at twenty, I definitely thought I have something to prove to people to to earn my place at the table, you know. And wow. I'm glad that that's kind of gone now. Yeah, you know, now I just want to fulfill my own desires as a storyteller and as a man in the world. Well, it seems like you've made a great progress towards that with this piece. And thank you from us as representatives of the community. Thank you for doing it because you're right. These stories may not get told and they make us value what's come before us, what we have, what's what's here to us and the values that make us who we are. So uh, for those of you out there who have not seen the movie, how how can they access it at this? point? So the movie is a 57 minute doc called Pizza Shop, an Italian-American dream. Right now, the easiest way to watch it is on Amazon Prime. If you have a membership, you can stream it right now for free as part of your membership. If not, you can watch it on iTunes, Google Play, or Vimeo On Demand. If you want to find the version with Italian subtitles for your parent or grandparents, oh, they can enjoy great. it. Yeah. You can go to Vimeo On Demand, and I think you can rent it for three ninety nine. and there's an Italian subtitled version available there. That's great. Wow. The film was on United Airlines for three months. That's as part of awesome. It. That's where Rosella <laughs> saw it. Um, it's, it's, I don't think it's still there, but, you know, we'll continue to look for other resources, but honestly, you can find it at, you know, it's a two clicks away from you. Yeah. And it's again, it's an hour long, and hopefully, it's a really, it's a it's a heartwarming 
I think yeah. it ends up being a heartwarming thing. I think everyone should watch it with their parents or their grandparents. I think it's a really great idea because I always say all the time that there is not enough content that represents Italian-Americans in a in a positive light that honors our story. I yeah. mean, you really do see it for so many other ethnic groups, but I, I, I feel like we are grossly underrepresented yeah. in... In, in, a, in a non-Sopranos way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah frankly, sure. yeah. it's something that doesn't follow just a, a, a normal people, real, yeah. real people in real situations. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's a really great thing that you did to honor your family and to honor our our mm-hmm. culture and our immigrant story. So mm-hmm. thank you, Tony, for being with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been a great pleasure, and I hope everybody out there watches it. And I feel like pizza now, and I don't mean yeah. that in any way as a joke. I am really. I feel like getting this. No, let's get some pizza. I I think that's a good idea. Get some pizza. Sounds great. (laughs) All right, we're going to go for pizza, guys. We'll see you next time on the Italian American Podcast. Thanks for listening. See that you're born an Italian and your life will be great. See that you're born an Italiano and